People say, I'm only hurting myself. Is that true? When it comes to drug addiction or alcoholism, is it just the individual that's involved? Are there other things going on that maybe the addicted person isn't even aware of? Good evening, I'm Ned Wicker, and this is Recovery Now. And we're going to be talking about the effects of addiction for the next half hour or so. And with me are the Reverend Dr. Dan Gating and Debbie Wicker. Dr. Gating has been involved in recovery for a long time as a chaplain. Debbie is the every person, the man on the street, so to speak, weighing in on what people are talking about. I'm sort of directing traffic. But when people say, I'm only hurting myself, Dan, is that true? Well, Ned, I'm glad to be here with you and uh, Debbie. And only hurting myself, I think, is a good statement of a true addict. Very myopic, thinking of me becomes the center of the the person it's it's a very self-centered way of living but no i it definitely is not true so who are they hurting well as we look at it i think that uh the addict in addiction it is something that is relates to every aspect of a person's life and we sort of like, I like to see circles. And when you see a board and you see all these circles intersecting, and I think that's the life of any person. But when there's a mood-altering chemical involved in that person, the residue, it touches everybody. And it, what I think sometimes is that it's a delayed reaction. The alcoholic, the addict might not even have an awareness that there anything hurting him, but family, job, everybody else becomes aware of the the hurt faster and easier, many times absorbs it more so than the addict alcoholic themselves. There's sort of a slippery slope that people get on and and as they progress Soon there might be a little strain on a marital relationship. Maybe somebody isn't paying attention to his kids or her kids. Maybe it's a little harder to get up in the morning and go to work. Maybe there's some strain on the job. Maybe we're becoming forgetful. But it seems that once it starts affecting everybody else, and my behavior is doing this, and but somehow I'm always the last one in the room to understand that that's what's going on. I don't. You point it out to me, and I'm going to deny it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think also we've all been maybe at uh, an event where somebody is totally out of control. Is it effect hurting them? No, it's the ball game observers. It's somebody at the concert. It's somebody that you're riding with on a plane, a train, obnoxious, belligerent. They have no awareness of behavior. 
I think that's a really good point, Dan. So as an addict thinks about the fact that he's only hurting or she is only hurting themselves, what about their experiences at baseball games or at some sporting event where someone was very, very drunk? And maybe apply some of those and try to build enough self-awareness so that they can realize they are hurting many, many other people. Generally, as you said, everyone that's in their lives are being hurt and affected. But uh, I think most people that are addicts don't don't think that. They're the last one to understand, and that's the nature of addiction. It's so myopic, as you said. It's so selfish, and addiction needs to be fed. It's There's a wonderful book called The Great Divorce written by C.S. Lewis, and in that book, he's talking about this guy that he meets in heaven. It's about a bus trip. You're going to heaven, and you're on the bus, and you get and you're allowed to get off, and you can walk around a little bit and, and, and take a look around. And he meets up with this person that's got this animal on uh, on their shoulder. And that's that's the addiction. And the animal's always to- is whispering in their ear, you know, feed me, feed me, pay attention to me, don't pay attention to somebody else. And it was this beautiful transformation that takes place where they, they finally say no. And the animal then turns into a great big white horse. The person climbs on, and they ride off into the sunset. But there, but as long as the addiction is talking, as long as the addiction is the one that's in control, the person has lost all of that self-awareness and all of that uh, any kind of knowledge about how this is affecting everybody else. And uh, one of the things is is the term denial, and. Uh Denial busting is probably the first stage of uh, of recovery, and I think sometimes the denial buster is really uh, suffering consequences going back to the addict himself that the addict feels the the pain. Right, and I think the one thing I would say also is it's the addiction that is self-centered. I think, again, people come back and say, well, I may be self-centered. I'm the one that's bad, when really the addiction is causing. It is an effect of the addiction that you become extremely not self-aware, unaware of who you're hurting, and you know, self-focused on yourself. And I think that's, that's a primary effect of addiction. And being human, we all have self-centeredness. However... When there's a mood-altering camera, it becomes magnified. And I think that's where we look at uh, the 12 steps of AA. NA is looking at powerlessness and unmanageability and having to really be broken and experience what people call bottoming out to know this has affected me and look at the different arenas of life that I've experienced manage, not being able to manage my life, unmanageability. People get out of control. There was a, you know, when, when the law went to point zero eight on, on DUI, that being the standard, and, and if somebody goes out on a night on the town and they are, uh, Having a few drinks with the boys after work or whatever, and they uh, maybe somebody drives them home, and they get home at about one o'clock in the morning, and they got the whirlies, and their blood alcohol level is about 
you know, two, and I, I'm, I'm just going to sleep it off. But how long does it take for the alcohol to get out of the system? And it's going to take some 12 hours before somebody, it, it, the you know, the alcohol is is out of their system. But, but, but no, I'll just go sleep. i get some black coffee. I'll sleep it off. But I go to work. Now, technically, they might go to work the next morning. They're still drunk. But they don't think they're affecting anyone. But they don't think they're affecting anybody. Nine o'clock, they get to work at eight o'clock or so. They, nine o'clock, they have, have to have a cup of coffee or something. But that blood alcohol level might still be over that 0.08. But they don't, they, they don't know this. So it starts affecting them at work. But again, uh, how, how do I, how do I know that? How, and, and, and what can, what can the wife do? What can the husband do? We get letters about this all the time. I think my husband is getting a little out of control. You know, what am I supposed to do? There are so many spouses that say, well, I'll just be nice and do what I can and maybe suggest to them, and it doesn't work. Hmm. What do they do? And I think sometimes it's that uh, toxic love that we can easily feel like I'm helping the person by uh, covering up. Uh, assisting, oh, I will just help here and I'll make an excuse for him and not confrontation and learning how to allow the person to suffer the consequence. And also, it's very hard to see this as a disease versus a bad person because you're in that relationship and it's happening to you, it's happening to me. Well, and you're spiraling down at the same time as the alcoholic, so you're tending to cover up for them more. It's something that crosses across time. Maybe it wasn't that bad a year ago, but now it's getting pretty bad. As the disease progresses, and and taking a look at this from like a family systems viewpoint, you've you've got the person who is is struggling. You have the, the addict there. But then you've got the spouse who's enabling the addict. So when you look at when you look at the whole picture, the whole thing is toxic as you as you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well you got to go into treatment. Mm-hmm. So spouse goes into treatment. But what happens to the rest of the family, Dan? Do they need to go into treatment too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times we have so much in our society and especially in the United States on addiction and recovery, and we have many things on adult children of alcoholics. We have uh, groups for uh, children of dysfunctional families. We, we are really blessed by a lot of history that were, that was not there, and can we can reach out, and you know, there are these effects. I'm reminded of um, a chaplain. His name is Randy, and he had been a missionary, a Presbyterian minister in Korea in the 1960s. And he said in the 1960s when the drug culture was just getting involved and he had a teenage son, 
and his son became unruly. He had these behaviors that now we would say, well, have you thought of, are they, are they on a drug addiction? And, uh, and so as he would tell his story at our recovery family, family week, he made the, the discovery that it wasn't adolescent adjustment, but here they are, the great missionary family over in Korea, and they're sending their son off to boys' schools, various things, always out of control, and they really discovered today he was an addict. What do you do when you're in Korea, a missionary, and you find out your son's an addict? What do you do when you find out your son is an addict anywhere? So many times I, I suspect this is what is going on. Here in the United States, there's a lot of resources. You pick up the phone, you call Al-Anon, and you say, I need some help. And you've got a whole group of people that are willing to come alongside and to embrace you and say, okay, we'll lead you through this process. But what happened to that missionary when you, when you, when you, when you don't have that community necessarily, uh, that faith community? Mm-hmm. To, to get you through the process. And one of the things that they had to realize was that they reached out to another couple that they knew were having problems with their teenagers. And they said, we didn't know much what to do other we formed our own community, drank a lot of coffee, and did a lot of praying together, but they found a support. Long story short... What happened in this family, they realized their son had an addiction, and unfortunately, and fortunately, they said, our family can no longer be entangled, his problem becoming the family problem anymore, and that the family had to find health, and they had to cut the son off, and he was probably 18 on his own, and say, this is the way we're going, you can join us, but we can no longer be there to rescue you. And he said it took at least 10 to 12 years, and his son finally hit bottom, finding the place that he needed help, and he is in recovery today. But he said it was very painful to have to let go, and a lot of fear. He said his faith got him through, and he referred to a an Old Testament scripture that they had used about the shepherd will recover his flock. But those are some things that, but it was very powerful for him now, 20 years later, standing up in this recovery group, telling these parents his story, because many times people have to make the decision that the family also has been affected and the family has to get healthy too. And um, and that and hopefully everybody does it together. But sometimes one has to get, no matter what happens, that each person makes that decision. I am going to be healthy. If you choose to go that way, then that's your choice. It doesn't necessarily mean that all times relationships are cut off, but there are things that we do that no longer am I in a toxic relationship. That's got to be so difficult for a parent. 
A, to come to the realization that regardless of how I have tried to do the right thing and, and, and to bring up my son or my daughter in the proper way and to make sure they hung out with the right crowd and make sure they didn't do this or didn't do that and tried to be as protective as possible. But I've come to the realization that they are an addict. And I love my child, and I don't want to let go of my child. But these folks that you're talking about, getting to the point where they say the only way to save my child is to let go. And the only way to save themselves. Their whole family was being destroyed, not just one. And so for the benefit of the other family, they had to send them out. And again, we get a lot of emails my husband is drinking, my wife is drinking, should I kick them out? We get that question very, very commonly. And what I think I hear you saying is that you send them out on their own, but you don't, but you bring them back after they overcome their addiction. So it's not as if it's a permanent separation, but it's a separation until they acknowledge that they're an addict and get into recovery. And you know what? I think this is a fine line because... None of us can say what is the bottom line for you or your family. I think the bottom line has to come back to the person is this is the bottom line that I can truly live with. You don't set a bottom line that you really can't live with. But the bottom line is not saying a punishment to the person, but it's coming to the realization that for me to be healthy, this is what I can tolerate and this is what I cannot tolerate. And if you continue using, then this is the line that I will not cross over. And it can be a variety of different lines and that, but it's putting the responsibility back on the addict versus the family member suffering more than the addict. Does the family member, after that point has been reached, I can no longer let this continue and I have to let go of you. Once that has happened, and let's say that, that that son or daughter has gone into treatment, what happens now for the family? Is there is, is there something that they need to do beyond just saying, I'm not going to do this anymore? My first reaction is that that's they need as much support and work for themselves to be able to journey into health and that growth is our goal. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect or any system is perfect. No family is perfect. And But how can we operate and be healthy and move forward? And I think that's where wonderful groups like adult children of alcoholics, codependent, groups and uh, there's so much on the book reference list through uh, variety of sources one great (coughs) woman of inspiration that has written a lot is Melody Beatty and it's spelled B-E-A-T-T-I-E and Melody M-E-L-O-D-Y she has written many things on, (coughs) on recovery and that but I think that there are a lot of books but I do still think we don't want to be lone rangers and we need the support of others and people that have journeyed before us and and sharing our commonality and finding strength in the journey. And no one can make an answer for themselves. 
moving beyond the family, and we were talking initially at the top of the show, we were talking about I'm only hurting myself. But there's this tremendous impact that alcoholism and addiction has on the community. Here in Wisconsin, we recently had a situation where a former orthopedic surgeon under the influence of prescription medication rammed into the rear end uh, of a a lady who uh, was killed instantaneously along with her unborn child and her 10-year-old daughter. And And two surviving children were not injured. And two surviving children were not injured. Physically. And the guy had had a a 15-year history of this. So it was his problem, yeah. But now it became a deadly, you know, fatal situation. So society and the community at large, it's our problem. So what... what transpired after that were all of these, uh, a lot of demagoguing is going on. We need to have more incarceration for this sort of thing. And do you realize that if you took three DUIs in the state of Wisconsin alone, three DUIs, and say it, it's mandatory that somebody goes to jail. After three. After three. That our prison rolls would increase by about, 300%. All of a sudden, you've got this huge, unmanageable problem. So we have this, this, this community thing going on. We have to have different measures. We have to take another look at addiction. We have to take another look at alcoholism. And it goes beyond that person's problem because you are my problem and you are potentially the person that is going to cause my early demise. So I have to deal with this. There was just a story the other day of a woman who was drunk, got in a car accident, and her son was killed, her six-year-old son. And the judge, being compassionate, allowed her not to be in jail during his funeral, and she went to the bar. And people say, well, how could she possibly go to the bar? But again, that's the nature of the effects of addiction is that, from her perspective, she had to have a drink. Of any moment in her life, that was the moment that she had to have a drink. So it's community effects, it's family effects, and it's individual effects mm-hmm. all at the same time. And I think that as we go back to that story, is that's just a magnified example. These are real true magnified examples of when addiction is in total control, there is no rationale, there is destruction, and what has happened is it is no longer using to feel good, using to soothe my soul. What it is is grabbing forth and that the addiction becomes the god of life. Anyway, that uh, about does it for this week. We've uh, talked a lot about the effects of addiction. If, and we want to encourage you, if, if, if you are going down that path, if someone you love, a member of your family, a friend, a coworker, whomever, uh, there are resources. You are not alone. There is hope. Pick up the phone. Uh, we, we talked about calling Alan on. You can call AA. 
you can call treatment centers. You can call your physician. There are resources available to you. Also, you can contact us on the website. There's a contact us button. And many people send us emails because they don't know. They're kind of at wit's end. We would certainly love to hear from you. Please contact us, and we will try to help you understand what resources may be available to you that you have not considered or aren't aware of. So we we are also a resource for you. Next week on Recovery Now, we're going to be going into the topic of treatment options. We touched on that last week a little bit about can you do uh, the whole treatment thing alone. There's a variety of ways of combating the problem, and we are going to be getting into that. Uh, so once again, I uh, want to thank you for being with us. Uh, Dan Geating, uh, as usual, thank you very much. Debbie, thank you for uh, your input Enjoyed it as, as well. always. I enjoyed being here. Thank you. You are not alone. And uh, remember, above and beyond everything else, God loves you, and uh, he will look out for you. God bless.